All right. Well, let's get going before the tide rises anymore. So, as we've been in this series looking at this idea of what it means to be in His image, we see that we are God's imager. That God originally created man as His representative on this earth with an expectation to expand and advance the garden. After man falls, God takes another representative in the nation of Israel. They are to represent Him. And then ultimately we see Jesus as God's representative on this earth. He was God incarnate, God in flesh. Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did is an expectation of what an imager should be doing, a representative of God. As a result of what Jesus did, you and I, the born-again believers, are now the representative on this earth. That is our job. It's not that we have five fingers and five toes and look like God necessarily. We might. We don't really know. But what it is is that it's a job title. And it is a job that should be taken way more seriously than what it is. It's a job that when you go out into the public square, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're bringing Him with you everywhere that you go. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. So a commandment was given. To do what? To do what I've been doing. Did Jesus make disciples? Yep. You think of 12, but did he only make 12? No, there were thousands of disciples. There were 12 apostles. What was Jesus' mission? Destroy the works of the devil. And he made followers of himself. And what did he tell his followers? Go and make more followers. Disciples, imagers, representatives. A disciple is somebody who's associated with a particular teacher, teaching, whatever. There are things that mark them. There are things that set them apart. In John chapter 14, in verse 12, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now let me ask you this question. When we read this, we always think of the miracles, the supernatural, and that's good. We should. But what things did he do? Made disciples. The works that I do, what works did he do? One of which made disciples. And so the disciples made disciples. Greater works will he do. We've lowered the bar so much that it's unrecognizable. It's kind of like when you're ever your goal planning. When you sit down as a young person and you start to write out your goals for life. If your goal in the morning is to eat lunch, you set the bar too low. Right? That's the problem we have is the church, the expectation of the body of believers has been set so low that it's, it's kind of like if you had to go and run hurdles and that was the hurdle. Now some of us would trip, okay? And some of us wouldn't run. It'd be a slow walk over the hurdles. You see, Jesus set the bar. We lowered the bar. Should the bar have been lowered? No. Did it cost something to become a disciple of Christ? Yes. Does it cost you something here? No. That is the reason that some will say, Lord, Lord. And say, get away from me. I never knew you. It's not a matter of taking on the name Christian. It's a matter of taking on the image of Christ. Acts 2, verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. What made Jesus unique wasn't just his words. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. What made his disciples unique wasn't just their words. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, the miracles, wonders, and signs. We follow Jesus' example. What drew people to Him is what draw people to us, you and I, born-again believers, full of the Holy Spirit, should be doing the same work and greater works. But we're not, because we're not making disciples. We're not praying for the sick. We're not casting out demons. We're not teaching the Word. Yeah, you go to church and you hear the Word and you maybe get taught, but at some point there's an expectation you should be doing what? Teaching the Word. What does that look like? You should be doing it with your children at home, perhaps your grandchildren at this phase of your life. You should be doing it with your neighbor. You should take every opportunity. It's kind of like the world has taken us captive and we've got all these things that we want to do and we squeeze some Jesus in there if we can. It should be the exact opposite. There should be nothing that you own that doesn't belong to God that would be ready to use for ministry in any way. To give away at a moment's notice. But that's not the way it goes. There should be no amount of money in your checkbook that doesn't belong to God ready to be given, to be used at any moment. But that's not the way it works. You see, we have taken the world system and fit Jesus into it. But the Jesus of the Bible is not a system to be added. It is an all-engulfing, consuming fire that takes over your life. And when you come to Him, now you're on mission. He didn't say, follow me and I'll show you the way to heaven. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He told Paul, he's like, this isn't going to be good for your life on this earth, but in eternity. Oh my. See, we're not eternally focused. We're not spiritually focused. We're focused on the here and the now. Do you know why Jesus said, when you fast? Because there was an expectation that you would. Do you know why you fast? Because this thing likes to run the show. And this thing likes chicken wings. And hot dog and bologna, right? That's a joke. Never mind, you won't get it. Just be grateful. If you don't understand that, you're welcome, okay? <laughs> the thing is, is like, when we fast, what are we doing? We're controlling the outer man that will perish. It's the inner man who comes alive. What if we began to think spiritually? What if we began to just walk spiritually? See, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Is that a promise? Absolutely. Did you receive it? Absolutely. What are you doing with it? I got a friend of mine that ordered a brand new Corvette. Okay? I think it's 500, 600 horsepower. I don't, I don't know. Okay? I'm not a car guy. I can barely put fuel in my truck. Okay? But he's telling me all the details about it. He ordered this brand new thing. He's so excited to get it. He's always wanted one. He's been saving up. The man's near retirement age. He's been saving his entire life. I don't know if it's a midlife crisis. He's not a small dude, just so you all know. I'm like, are they going to like have a pry bar to get you out of that thing when you get in it? But irrelevant. But it's like 600 horsepower. It'll do 0 to 60 in like 3.8 seconds or, or whatever. And inside of that engine is all this horsepower. But what if he never takes it over 25 miles an hour? All of it's available, but he never utilizes it. What was the point of buying it? What about us? 
You see, the Holy Spirit that's in me is the Holy Spirit that's in you. He said, you'll be endued with power from on high. Now go and be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the earth. How are we doing, church? Not well. Because we got this engine in us. But we don't ever barely take that thing out of the garage. We're on the idle. We're just kind of coasting. Man, imagine if we lived in a country of where there was facing persecution constantly and if you gave your life to Christ it may cost you your life is it worth it there's so much that we have compromised on and part of it is is because the world's way of doing things is not God's way of doing things and I'm not just talking from a moral standpoint but what you may or may not realize is that there is a spiritual world around us that is wreaking havoc around us all the time And you and I are in a spiritual battle, whether we like to admit it or not. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand. Now, here's the thing. Why is the armor there? Is it to sit on a shelf and look pretty? No, it has a function. And he would not have told you to put it on if you were born with it or if you didn't need it. Because you and I do not need armor to go and wrestle with one another, to discuss politics, to discuss religion, or whatever else is going on there. We can have argument after argument after argument. The problem is, is we're fighting the wrong battle. We're distracted over here when the real authority and power is over here. And we're missing it. Because we're not engaged spiritually. We're not spiritually minded. We're carnally minded. We are missing the boat of what's happening. And you and I, as far as believers go, spiritually are weak. We are anorexic. We are beat up and bloodied. And we're just trying to get through another day. Because we are focused carnally. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who are present and lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you, that when I am present, I may not be bold with the uh, confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now let me ask you, and this is the problem, when did the battle stop? It hasn't. But it seems as if much of the church has not realized the battle that we are in. We are in a spiritual battle unaware. And as I showed you guys last week, the fall of Babylon that took place was that exact same scenario. Is that as they were up there inside of a fortified city that they thought was impregnable, nobody can get through. We see through history how they had gone up against Cyrus in a battle outside of the wall and they got defeated. But once they got back in there, oh man, we're safe here. Nothing can happen to us. And you see that, that story, I think it's in Daniel 5, where they're just drinking and they bring in the, uh, the stuff from the temple and they're drinking wine and they praise the gods of silver, gold, and all of that. And their handwriting on the wall that takes place. In the meantime, what it doesn't say 
is that Cyrus has encamped around. And while he couldn't get through the wall, through the doors, there were people all around them. There was a two-layer wall system. There was no way they were getting through. They found it through the river. And they dug channels to divert the, uh, the river so that it would come down to about the size of a man's thigh, that depth. And they walked in there. And they slowly overtook the city because they were too concerned with what was going on in the moment and not realizing they were under attack until it was too late. You and I are in the exact same place. Spiritually speaking, around us all the time, you've got the attacks of the enemy. And that comes from many different directions. And we're going to get into that in the weeks to come. But for right now, understand this. Every day, that armor must be up. Your antenna must be up. You must be spiritually minded to what's going on in the moment. Because sometimes the attack will happen to your physical body. And and it may be an illness or something like that. Sometimes the attack comes through a person who maybe says or does something to you. Sometimes the attack is up here in your mind. And it makes you think differently. Makes you wonder. Makes you question. But the attack is coming. And there's many, many other ways that it happens. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now here's the problem. Much of the church has taken this and said, Okay, well he's just a toothless lion. He can't do anything. That's not what it says. The enemy has been defeated. But if you're not aware that he is circling around, think about this. When they hunt, what do they do? They find the weak one. They circle around until they see the one that they want, the one that they know they can take, and then they attack. Many times that one is not prepared for it. They don't see it coming. If you know the lion's there, and you know he's coming, and he's coming for you, what should you do? Maybe pay attention. But this is what Peter said. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There are people in this room who are being devoured. There are people in the body of Christ who are being devoured. Because they are not aware that the enemy is moving around. Sometimes those, the, the way it happens is through friends that you have. Sometimes it's through family members. They will pull you away from God. They will pull you in other directions. Why do you think God made it so abundantly clear to the Israelites when they were to go into a land, they were never to marry a foreign wife? Why is that? He said, they will pull your heart from me to the gods that they came from. And that is exactly what is continually happening. Because you and I are focused on the flesh. We are carnally minded. We're only concerned about feeding this thing and what we can gain and the comforts of this life. While other parts of the world, the church is thriving in a way that is just supernatural because they don't have any of this. All they have is God. And we have everything else try to jam a little God in there see the enemy's moving around we don't know where he's coming but if you're armored up if you're prepared and you are listening your antenna's up you'll be aware when it's coming you'll begin to recognize it and so as we began to transition a little bit in this series this idea of spiritual warfare we have to be aware 
of what's happening. Because I'm telling you something, church. And I want you to listen very carefully. There is attacks that have been going on for a long time. And we are all subject to fall to that if we're not careful. It's important that we rightly divide the word. It's important that we are spiritually in tune. But we have to understand that there are things around us, influencing us, that do not have our best interest at heart. It may seem that they do. But we are being influenced by demonic things in everything from music, movies, people around us, the occult, all of this stuff. And we're going to get into some of this stuff. And some of this stuff is going to open your eyes and, and you're going you're gonna to be like, there's no way. I, I can't even believe that when I show you some of the stuff that I have found over the last several months that I've been preparing for this moment. But I'm going to share something that the Holy Spirit showed me today. I'm going to share it with you a little bit to give you an idea of that as we go forward. But understand this. There are things that are happening. Not everything is as it seems. If a lion shows up as a lion and he looks hungry, what are you going to do? You're going to run. But if he shows up as a sheep in wolf's clothing, I said that back, wolf in sheep's clothing. Either way. You may not be prepared. There's reasons that these verses are here. And we just kind of glaze past them and pretend it's not happening. And what happens is when that attack finally becomes evident, that we've gotten to the point where now we're in trouble, now we want to be like, oh God, where are you? Help me. I need you. But what if we just stayed constant and we didn't allow this nonsensical stuff around us to affect us? See, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says in latter times that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, here's the thing. In latter times, some will depart from the faith. In order to depart from the faith, what must you have been? in the faith you can't leave something that you were not in fair enough so they obviously had an encounter with God in some capacity they obviously were being discipled because this is at that time this stuff was happening and they say they will depart from the faith and what do they give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons well okay then that's fair how can we handle this well if you wake up one morning and standing at the foot of your bed is some spirit. And he says, you shouldn't go to church today. What are you going to do? You're obviously be like, uh, I don't think so. Right? You're not going to listen to it. But when it says deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, what's a doctrine? It's a belief system. Well, how do belief systems get taught? Do spirits come up and say, okay, well, y'all got it wrong. Let me tell you how to get it right. They go through people. See, the problem is, is that we don't realize these deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons many times are working through the people around us. Not everybody has your best interest at heart. Some people are working for the enemy unaware. So if it's your mom, let's do it this way. If it's your mother-in-law, okay, we can all relate. If it's your mother-in-law and she's pulling you away from God, the basic disciplines of the faith, she may not even realize that she is a puppet 
of the enemy. It's not like she's necessarily demon-possessed and she's sitting there planning this out like, all right, if I can just get them not to go to church this week, then we can get them to reject the faith altogether. That's probably not happening. There is some of that. What I want at this point is to understand. Get your awareness up. Your spiritual eyes on. Not everything is as it seems. We have to stop thinking carnally. We must start thinking spiritually. Acting spiritually. Believing spiritually. In Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says, uh, let's go to verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I've told this before, but let me explain it again. That word wiles in the Greek means method, methodos. And it implies this idea where something will come time and time and time again until it finally breaks through. That is the idea in the Greek. In 1 Timothy 4, it said, In latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, how does that happen? Do you just hear a new teaching and you're like, Oh, well, I was wrong this entire time. I'm so glad you corrected me. No. It takes time and time and time again. And if the culture around you is constantly battering you with nonsensical untruth, eventually it may bleed into your belief system and you may be the one to depart from the faith. You see, you and I don't get to decide what's true. We simply follow. Now, with that being said, we have to know what to do. Let me show you some examples here. You've got to understand, as I've said, not everything around you is as it seems. If you believe the Scriptures that we are in a world that we are not a part of, that we are spiritual beings in a fleshly body, and the time will come where that won't be true anymore, but for right now, this is where we are. Heaven being our home, we are connected with God, then spiritually minded we must be. It is a world that you and I cannot see outside of a gifting from the Lord. And so we may not recognize in the moment that there is a spirit coming against us, but the signs will always be there. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. This is Paul talking, but what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Now pause. What is he? What is we? They are the apostles. So, I continue to do what I'm doing because I want to cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things at which they boast. What are they boasting about? He doesn't tell us. But they're bringing a new teaching and they're likely performing false signs and false wonders. So he continues doing what he's doing to cut off the opportunity from these guys to whom? The believers. Watch what it says, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. For no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Now, stop for a moment. Think about this. There were people 
that were teaching wrong things and were doing, likely, miracles underneath the power that was not God. But did they know what they were doing? You see, oftentimes when we think about this and we hear the term false apostle, false teacher, whatever it is, it gets thrown out that anybody that maybe has a wrong teaching. But look very carefully. Look at this again. These people that are boasting are false apostles. They're deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. They are claiming to come in the name of Jesus. But do they realize that they've got it wrong? Of course they do. He talks about Satan transforming himself into an angel of light. Does Satan know that he's not an angel of light anymore? Of course. Therefore, it's no great thing that his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Does that not seem to imply that there are ministers out there that are claiming to be for Christ, but are actually ministers of Satan, and they know it? That is what it says. This is not about maybe I don't know or I taught something wrong. I had a misunderstanding that's been corrected. If that were the case, everybody in this room is a false teacher. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about intentionality. So does that mean that in some church today there may be a pastor who is portraying himself as an angel of light when he's really an angel of darkness? Absolutely. Is it possible that those same type of people are on TV? Is it possible that those same type of people are on the TikTok? That's what I like to call it. The TikTok. Very specific. They're everywhere. Are they intentionally deceiving believers? Why? Well, because some are going to depart from the faith. In the weeks to come, I'm going to share with you some wild stories about things from the satanic church where they will infiltrate a Christian church with the sole mission to bring it down. It happens all the time. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4. I'm just introducing these ideas today. Okay? I just want to get your antennas up. Matthew chapter 4. You guys all know this is the temptation of Jesus. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now let's stop for a moment. Now we've talked about this uh, in several times in several different series. But the thing is, is that the first thing that he does in a moment of weakness, 40 days, 40 nights, fasting, what are you? You're very likely hungry. Even then, bread sounds amazing, right? It's whatever. And he says, if you are the Son of God, what is he saying? If you are who you are claiming to be, then you have the ability to turn stones to bread. Otherwise, it's not a temptation. Fair enough? Now, for most of us, we've, we look at this and we're like, okay, well, that's nothing. But what is being tempted? The immediate needs and the immediate desires. We have a culture that tells you what? Chase the dreams of your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful in all its ways. But what are we told? Chase your dreams. Where we sacrifice what we really want for what we want right now. Imagine if Jesus had fallen to this. What are we talking about today? Not Jesus. He couldn't be Messiah. Then. He couldn't be the Son of God. 
You see, the enemy brought an attack at him, a temptation. He responded with the word. This is one. Now let's look at the next one. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands you shall bear, uh, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. So now what's he saying? Prove yourself. Throw yourself up. Look what the Bible says. So does the enemy know the word? Of course he does. Will he use that against you? Of course he will. Have you ever heard somebody who is, has believed something completely out of context and wrong? Because those are two obscure psalms that he pulled completely out of context. But he's telling us like, prove yourself. Look at the last one. Again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and the whole angels came and ministered him. So what was the third temptation? I will give you everything you see here. I'll give you notoriety. I'll give you power. If you'll just fall down and worship. Does he tempt people with that today? You ever heard the term, they sold their souls for the devil? You guys realize that that's an actual thing? And not just a cute little saying? That there are musicians and movie stars on record that have said, I sold my soul to the devil. Why do they want? They want notoriety. They want power. What if some of the great artists of the past and some of them right today are a minister of darkness? And it just seems like it's an big deal. Just good entertainment. What do we need? We need our antennas. Because most people would never walk into an occultic uh, uh, venue a place where they knew there was a black mass going on or anything like that. Most people would never do that. Most believers never would do it. You know what they will go to? They'll go to concerts. They'll go to movies. And that very activity is taking place around them and they don't even recognize it. Ah, it's just See, these are temptations where the enemy comes and trying to pull you away. Now let's go to another one. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. This is the parable of the soils. We've talked about this before. This is just the meaning of the parables. But look at this. The par- the, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. The devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So these are people who, are, in my opinion, are not born again. They are not believers. Why? The seed was there, but he came and took it away, lest they believe and they become saved. I think it's pretty clear. Verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and they have no root, who believe for a while and in a time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now, what do we notice? In the parable, there's birds all the way around, and the devil is there, but there are two groups that never bring any fruit to maturity. Why? Well, there's a time of temptation. Well, who's the tempter? Absolutely. Absolutely, every single time. What did he just tempt Jesus with? I'll give you everything. Well, what happens to another one? They go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Same thing. You see, the birds are circling around this church. We're drawn. i got to get this job because it makes more money. i got to go do this. We're not kingdom focused. When he said, uh, 
seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What do you think he meant by that? Let me go out on a limb for you. I think if we seek first, not second, not third, not fourth, the kingdom of God, put all of our faith, hope, and trust in him and do his work and do his will, then everything else will be taken care of. You don't have to job chase. You don't have to business chase. You don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. You've got to work. But what happens? We get so drawn. I have a family member where this is the exact scenario in their life. Where they have been drawn away by the pleasures of this life and the riches of this world. That's their world now. They still believe in God? Absolutely. They still talk about God from time to time? Absolutely. Have they brought any fruit to maturity? Absolutely not. Why? Because this is great. It's all about the next thing. Who do you think brings those temptations? The tempter. See, it's happening all around. Looking to whom he made a vow. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Now here's something I want to show you guys again. I'm just introducing these ideas today. That's all we're doing. Just introducing these ideas. I'm giving you a lot. We're going to drill down into this stuff and be very specific here in the weeks to come. Acts chapter 5. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. He kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a part of the price of the land of yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You know what's interesting? Is he sold it as everybody else was doing, as you read in Acts chapter 5. Everybody else was doing this, bringing the money. But it was his, to do with what he wanted. But look what it says. Why has Satan filled your heart? Is it possible that Satan can fill a man's heart? Apparently. Is this a born-again believer? Absolutely. He's in the church, seems to be. One of the new disciples of Christ. And Satan filled his heart to do what? Lie to the Holy Spirit. What was the temptation? The riches. That's all we think about. What can I get? What's in it for me? This is how we treat our jobs. Well, that's not my job. They don't pay me enough. I need to go do something else. Look at Luke chapter 22. Verse 1. This will be the last verse. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near which is called Passover. The chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, but they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captives how he might betray him to them. And they were so glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Now, did Satan enter Judas? Seems to be. And what was the result? agreed to give him money. We know the story. What made Judas tempted by this? Was it one day where Satan knocked on his door? He's like, hey, listen, you mind if I just step in for a little bit? I'm going to take care of this Jesus figure. It was time after time after time. We don't know the backstory, but we know the patterns. You see, this is the thing that we've got to be aware of, is that this stuff is happening all around us. This stuff is happening everywhere, each and every day. The works of the enemy, who is the king of this world, is happening around us. But you and I can be inoculated to it because we have the honor. We have the power. We have the authority. And what's happening is, is we have a very, very weak and pathetic church today because we don't want to think about that. We have it too good. There's a reason that when crisis happened, people turn to God. 
when things are tough because we have no other options. We have no other choice. We have to go after these things. This is what the enemy is doing. So let me show you one thing that the Holy Spirit showed me here several weeks ago, months ago. I've said that there's an attack on young people, young marriages. I prayed for some of the, the newlyweds and oldlyweds in this case. But there are things that are happening and there are temptations that are happening, not just to them, but to all of us. But it was specific to the, those four couples. That is what the Lord has showed me. But there, there's a thing that's happening where it is drawing people. You guys ever heard the term a siren song? You guys know what that is? It's an old, old term. A siren was, I uh, think, of a, a very good-looking ghost, okay? I don't know how else to describe it. But she's good-looking. And it would br- draw Navy men to their death because she'd be standing out in the water singing this beautiful medley, and they'd hear it. And then they would see it, and they would walk out to try to get her because it was drawing them in, and it would lead them to their death. And what the Holy Spirit showed me is that there are a lot of sirens out singing and the church is being drawn towards them. And the voice of God is becoming strangely dim. We're not hearing from Him because we're going after all the noise around us. Put your antennas up. I'm going to tell you this. As we get into this, don't be surprised if you start to notice things. Don't be surprised if all of a sudden there are attacks that you're aware of. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Those attacks have always been there you'll become more aware of them. And at first, it might mess with your head a little bit. It might freak you out a little bit. It may be like, it was better when we just ignored them because then I didn't have to deal with them. But I want you to be prepared. I will never forget this, and this is my mistake, okay? When we had Chad Gonzalez in last year, we were having those meetings. The week after that, the Lord said, get ready. Attacks are going to come. That was a message I probably should have shared, and I didn't. I just prayed and all of that. And guess what, church? Some of them came. Some of you might have been affected by that. But what you need to know is that lion's out roaring all the time. He's looking. Get your antennas up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, as we draw near to you that we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. Lord, I just thank you that you've equipped us with everything that we need. Lord, I pray that we have discernment that our hearts are open and soft to hear from you and that we are aware of the enemy's tactics and the ways in which he comes, the ways in which he attacks. Lord, and that every one of us are subject to that, but every one of us can rise above it should we choose. So Lord, I thank you that as we continue into this portion of this series, Lord, that you are opening our eyes to the world around us, that we are now doing what you did. So Lord, I just thank you for doors of opportunity being opened we can share the gospel and be on mission for you. Lord, be glorified in everything that we say and do. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.